During its recently concluded 88th regular session, the Texas legislature adopted the largest spending increase in Texas history. On this week's episode 134 of the Liberty Cafe, we're going to apply some biblical principles to help us understand what this means for Texas taxpayers and how it affects the ongoing battle in our state and our nation between liberty and oppression. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to have you here with me, and it's also a blessing to be part of the Texas Scorecard Network. Texas Scorecard is the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, and so I'd really encourage you to run over to their website, texasscorecard.com, or I guess to our website, texasscorecard.com, and find out more about the battle going on in Texas between liberty and oppression, and what you and all of us can do to help fight for liberty from a biblical and Christian perspective. So head on over to texasscorecard.com. So as I mentioned in the intro, the Texas legislature is finished. Well, at least finished when it comes to the budget. They, they managed to spend all of our money without actually coming to an agreement of how much of our money they're going to give us back. They're still in a special session working on property tax relief. But as far as the budget goes... That's pretty much finalized. They might make some tweaks here and there, but I think it is just about finished. So this second week in a row, I want to look at how the legislature did during the last session, and today we're going to look at the budget. So first I'm going to run through some numbers, and, and I, I know that dealing with you know multiple numbers, particularly when they're in the billions, can be kind of mind-numbing. So I'm going to do my best to keep this brief and help place some of the historical perspective so that, that we can um, have some concept of just how massive a spending increase this, this really is. It, it's really historical. But then once we get through the numbers, I'm going to try and attempt to review this increase and just the size and scope of the Texas budget in the biblical concept. And so let's get started with the numbers. So let me just say right off the bat, my numbers are going to be a little bit different than you might see if you go somewhere else and it's talking about the the growth of the budget. Because what I'm doing here is, is adopting a methodology called session spending. Typically, when you see budget numbers reported for Texas, it's, it's using a two-year budget cycle or a biennial budget cycle. And so they'll tell you, well, the, the spending for the next biennium coming up, which is fiscal years 24 and 25, increased by this percent over the current budget, which is fiscal, which are fiscal years 22 and 23. But there are all kinds of shenanigans that the legislature can and does play with those numbers to make the increase look a lot smaller than it actually is. So what I've done here is adopted, like I said, this concept called session spending. And it's originally a concept that I developed with Talmadge Heflin at the Texas Public Policy Foundation back in 2013. The last time we really saw a spending increase anywhere near this, uh, this level. And again, they were playing with the books back then and trying to obfuscate how much they were spending. So we developed this concept, and it's really pretty simple. 
you know, they, they, rather than they're spinning forward and backward and all these kind of things, all it is is saying the legislature came to town in 2023 and it appropriated this much money. It could be into the current fiscal year, 2023. It could be to the next one, 2024, the one after that, 2025. It doesn't matter. It's just how much they appropriated while they were in town for this session. And then we compare that to what they did two years ago when they came to town. It's a little different two years ago because they had a lot of special sessions where they appropriated money. But we just take what they appropriated back in 2021 and compare that to what they appropriated in 2023. And that gives us a measure that is it, it, people well people will contest it but they can't really because it's a very simple straightforward measure so here we go so i just wanted to put that out there because some people will question the methodology i hope i've explained it to your satisfaction so if you look at the texas legislature how much they appropriated this session it totals 233 billion dollars of state money. Now, I'm not including federal funds in this because federal funds come and go. It, they're hard to manage. They're hard to keep track of. And a lot of the federal funds that they're going to spend over the next two years aren't even here yet. And so it's a lot simpler and more straightforward to just talk about the, the, the amount of money that the Texas legislature has under its control, which are state funds. So that's $233 billion in state funds this, this session that they appropriated. Last session, last uh, in two, 2021, the number was $164 billion. So that increase is $69 billion. They appropriated $69 billion more this year than they did two years ago. That's a 42% increase. They've never even come close to this number before. Uh, the, the, again, the, the biggest increase we saw in this session spending metric before was back in 2013, and it was in the 30s. And uh, they, they jumped some more recently, but, but those are the two big ones that we have to point to. It's just a massive amount of, of funding. That's over a two-year period, so that's basically 21% each year increase in spending for the Texas government. Far beyond inflation or population growth plus inflation, not to mention far beyond what most of us have uh, to spend in increasing budgets, right? So let's take that back and, I mean, it's just massive. That's the only way to describe it. But let's try and put that in context. Let's go back 10 years to that 2013 spending spree the legislature had. When they got done with their spending spree in 2013, they had appropriated $132 billion in state funds. So over that 10-year period, the legislature's appropriations session to session is up $101 billion. Right, That's a 76% uh, increase in spending. Uh, just to put that in context, the uh, inflation over that period of time is 29%. So it far outpaces inflation. Not that government spending should grow even as fast as inflation does, but, but, but there's a comparison for you. And then when you break down that $101 billion increase over the, the period, you, you find that from 2013 to 2021, an eight-year period, the, the spending only went up $31 billion dollars. As I mentioned before, $69 billion of that $101 billion increase came in just this session, 
two years, basically. So that I hope that helps put into context just how massive an increase in spending we saw in this legislative session. To put it even in better context, perhaps historically, if you go back to all the way to 1987, the legislative session in there, they, they um, appropriated $24 billion. So we've gone from $24 billion in 1987 to $233 billion, only about, what is that, 35 years later or so? It's a lot, uh, 36 year, years later, it's a lot of money that they're spending out there. Now, I also want to put the spending increase, the budget increase, in the context of how much we got in property tax relief this session. Well, of course, we don't know how much we're going to get, but the number that is in the budget right now is $12.3 billion. So, so let's just put that in context again. So the increase in spending this time was about $69 billion. That's, and we only got $12 billion of that. That's essentially what we were looking at. Just a small portion of the almost $70 billion of increased spending. We're going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion of that back to uh, pay, buy down our property taxes. Now, they're not actually going to buy down our property taxes by $12 billion. That's part of the problem. They're going to send $12 billion to schools, and the schools are going to buy down the rates, but then they're going to raise their rates again, and then counties are going to raise their rates again, and then cities are going to raise their rates again. So we're not going to get $12 billion in relief. So they actually, because they won't freeze local property taxes. So that's kind of the context we want to put that in. And then finally, let's just look at, so increase in health and human services spending this session was $8.3 billion. Almost, not quite, but close to the $12.3 billion we're getting in property tax relief. Uh, what else? Uh, public safety, up $6.3 billion. Uh, this, uh, this general provisions spending increase, which is a new category they have, $27 billion. And I think that's kind of a catch-all that they're kind of spreading out all over the place. So you can just see that there is more than enough money to give us a lot more property tax relief. It, it could have doubled or even tripled, and there would have still been plenty of money for increased spending in the Texas legislature. Unless, of course, you're trying to spend money to keep certain constituents happy, and you think it's more important to keep them happy than your just average taxpayer and property owner. So that's what I wanted to say about the Texas budget from a numbers perspective. I hope that it's giving you an idea of just how big an increase we had. So now I'd like to take a look at this, the growth in the, the Texas budget, and it's just its overall size, from uh, three biblical perspectives. So let me start off with the first one, is how the, this growth in the, in the Texas budget distorts the image of God and man. So let's go back to Genesis 1 and remind ourselves that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, Genesis 1.26. Then let's move on to the New Testament. You may recall the time when the, the Pharisees were plotting against Jesus and how to entangle him in his words. And so they came and asked him, 
uh, whether or not Jews should pay taxes to the Romans. Well, there were two outcomes of that question, at least they thought, and either one was going to get Jesus in trouble. If he said, yes, they should pay taxes to the Romans, then the Jews were all going to get mad at Jesus. If, on the other hand, if Jesus said, no, the Jews shouldn't pay taxes to the Romans, then the Romans were going to get mad at Jesus and, and likely kill him. And so they ask him this question. And, of course, the famous response I'm sure you've all heard is that Jesus asked for a coin and then a Roman coin, and it was brought to him. And then he asked, whose image is on this? Whose likeness and inscription is this? He asked them. And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Well, Jesus, of course, understood what they were trying to do. And so he, he made a point, to, and, he, and he answered the question far beyond, with wisdom far beyond what they expected. And he gave us answers for a lot of the issues about government far beyond what uh, they were expecting as well, and, and that we might even have expected from this question. So when we analyze the Texas budget from this perspective, one thing we have to remember is that Caesar is dead. And, and so his image is no longer on our money. So we, we have to work a bit to uh, understand how to apply this to our current situation. But yet, you know, there, there are some general principles we can see there. So, yes, we, I think we still pay taxes and are obligated to pay taxes because George Washington's picture or image is on our money. But just because George Washington's or Abraham Lincoln's or Caesar's, whoever it might be, image is on our money, doesn't mean that the power of the government to tax us is unlimited. They have no right to tax us until all of our Caesar money is gone. So then what is the limitation? Well, there's a, a number of ways that people look at this, and, and I think there's several good ways of looking at it. But what I'd really like to focus on here is that the limitation on taxation is when we, we are being taxed so that the government is spending that tax money on efforts to supplant the image of God in man with the image of Caesar or the image of the current civil government. And I think there's a lot of ways you can explain this, but I think public education is one of the most obvious examples where you know it is banned, basically, to talk about God in the, in the public schools. And so everything they are taught, our children are taught, in the public schools is an attempt to erase the image of God from who they are, right? You, you can't talk about for instance, God creating the heavens and earth because that's banned these days. We can't talk about God's role in creating gravity. We can't talk about it was God who created numbers. Any of those things are banned in the public schools. And so they're just removing the the concept of the image of God implanted on in us and then the elements of God in all of creation. So I think that's pretty clear that spending money on public education is not something we should be taxed for, at least certainly in the way it is not today. We can also look at look at other things along these lines. But so, like for instance, the push 
uh, by government to deny that God created us man and woman uh, because they're pushing now the homosexual agenda and the trans agenda. So marriage, you know, just being a male or a female, all those things are out the doors. They shouldn't be spending any money on those types of things. So is all the efforts to push uh, racial hostility on us through the, the current efforts in in that area and just the racial strife that we see in all different kinds of ways in our life. And then I think most of all, though, it, it's just in, the, in this idea that government is growing so big and so overwhelming that it's seeking to become God itself and impose, just imposing generally its image on all of us and wanting to push aside the image of God in man. And, and I think when we're getting to a budget the size we're getting to in Texas today, and certainly in the United States, that's what's going on. So the, the second way I'd like to look at the Texas budget is, uh, and the size of the Texas budget today and its growth, is, is how it disrupts the fruit of the labor of our hands. So let's go back to Genesis 2.15. The Lord took God and the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. We are created for work. I mean, it's it's just part of our essence to be doing the Lord's work every day. And there's ways we do that spiritually, but we also just do that with our hands and our minds every day as part of building a culture and society through commerce. Let's move on to uh, Psalm 128, 1 and 2 and see what it has to say here. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So again, we're made to work. But the government, as its budget grows and grows, is denying us, in many ways, opportunities to work, whether it's through taxes, taking away our ability to to invest and to grow our, our working abilities through taxes and also through regulation, where it just tells us when and where we can work, uh, what property we can use, what property we can't use, all these different ways um, it, it, it does that. And also, of course, through welfare, right, where we just don't work. Some people don't work. All those areas just deny us the blessings of work. We no longer eat the fruit of our labor of our hands, or not as much of it, if our work is not prohibited, but limited. Instead, we're often eating the the fruit of the labor of someone else's hands. And, and, and this can also interfere with our relationship with God and our fear of Him. Because if we're not working, we're, we're just not walking in God's ways. Yeah. There. All people are going to have limits on how they can work and what they can do. And that's okay. The, the problem is, is when government comes in and superimposes itself on that and further limits our ability. And that, that is a big problem. And I think that's what's happening with Texas' oversized and growing government. It's just not good for us and our walk with God. And then finally, let me just touch on here the, the last point, how the growing Texas budget interferes with our work preparing the earth as a dwelling place of God with man. This may take a little explanation, so let me give it a try here. First, let me read Genesis 1.28. 
and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I think a lot of people have heard this passage, which is often called the, the cultural mandate. But I think for a lot of people, it is un, unclear exactly why we are actually doing this. Why are we filling the earth? Why are we having to have sovereignty over it? Or dominion over it, excuse me. Well, of course, one reason for that is just to glorify God. We do what he tells us to do. And we glorify him in that. And we are blessed in that as well. But I think God has more for us in store and more information for us than just to have us blindly doing whatever he tells us to do. I think there are purposes for us that he wants us to see and to know, and he's provided to us in the Bible. So that so that when we look around us and, and see that we've all we've accomplished, homes, roads, farms, factories, cities, etc., we should have some idea of the answer to the question, what is the purpose of all this? Well, let me read to us Revelation 21.3, and I think that will help us get the answer. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, this is in Revelation, and that's a challenging book to understand what's in it. But this idea of God dwelling with man is not at all isolated to this one passage in Revelation. It appears throughout the entire Bible in various different ways. And so the the concept of God dwelling with man is, is everywhere in the Bible, as I said. And, of course, the first place we saw that was the Garden of Eden, where God actually did dwell with man. God used to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve and dwelled with them there. And the idea of the cultural mandate was so that we would go out and build a civilization and cultivate the earth and fill it all with billions of people so that God could dwell with man not just in the Garden of Eden, but everywhere. And not just in time, but for eternity. And so I'd suggest that's what our work is to do. Now, it's been complicated by sin and all these kinds of things, but still the, the very um, essence of that is still in place. But this is a challenge, not just from the challenge of our sinfulness, but it also raises a question, how can we fill the earth with enough people to subdue it and have dominion over it without starving to death or killing each other? Well, the, the answer to that is in God's provision for the earth and, and how he made it. Right? Uh, he, he set it away for us so that we would have enough food to feed everyone, enough clothes to clothe everyone, enough shelter to shelter everyone. In, in his wisdom, he didn't leave us helpless in how we're going to accomplish that. He gave us property, his property, and particularly he gave us the concept of private property. God owns everything, and he demonstrated that when he told Adam and Eve not to eat, they could have anything they wanted except the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
that's private property right there. And he transmitted that to us and told us and showed us anyway that private property is the most efficient way to increase and allocate the labor and and the resources we, we need to keep us alive and well while we are being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. Unfortunately, uh, this rapidly expanding Texas budget is really nothing more than socialism on the rise that is, and that is destroying the institution of private property that God provided for us and thus undermining our ability to provide for ourselves and the world's growing population. It, it's as simple as that. So some people might, like some of our elected officials or governor, lieutenant governor, speaker, members of the legislature, might object to that, but I, I, I'm here to tell you I, I think it's true. So let, let me explain why. So in, in the Bible, a lot of people talk to the, uh, the socialism, if you will, of the, in the early days of the church where everybody sold everything and, and gave to the church and to others. But we, we can't, shouldn't really call that socialism, but to the extent that we might call it socialism, just to work with the definition that some people would give it, it was a voluntary socialism, right? It's where people sold what they had, they sold their private property, and gave it to the church as others. Uh, we, we might label this as all mine is yours type of socialism. It's voluntary, there's private property involved, all those kinds of things. However, today's socialism in this world that we're very familiar with in Soviet Union and China and Vietnam and places like that, but also in the United States in just a gussied up form so it doesn't look quite so ugly, we, we might call the socialism on the rise today in Texas and other places, the all yours is mine type of socialism. In this type of socialism, property is increasingly no longer private. Instead, it is taken from one person and given to another. That used to be called theft, and it still is if a private person does it to another private person. But when one private person gets the government to step in and do it for them, it's no longer called that. It's called welfare, it's called economic development, wh whatever you call it. I think it's still theft, and it certainly is socialism. And, and so I, I'd say this forced retrib re redistribution of wealth, there's a moral problem there. Again, it's a type of theft. But for the purposes of really this podcast, I, I'd like to focus on it's an economic problem. It's an efficiency problem. So what, what we see here is God's design for the economic activity, which is supposed to support us as we are filling the earth and having dominion over it, it's, it's disrupted when private property is diminished. And when private property, God's mechanism of private property is diminished, so is our ability and his plan for us for increasing our wealth. So not only does wealth decrease, but, but then strife between people increases as more and more people fight over the fewer goods and services that are available to us. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a long-term optimist. God's plan for us through Jesus Christ will ultimately prevail over our sinful ways. What we are supposed to accomplish, Adam, through Adam and under Adam, that, that we have failed at miserably, we will still accomplish, but it will be through Jesus Christ. He will accomplish it for us in a way, but he brings us along and uses us in that process. But I will say in the short term that the growth of the Texas budget suggests that simply we are in for some short-term pain in Texas as we follow the the ever-expanding federal government on its path towards socialism. Well, thank you again for being with me on the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing as always. And thanks also to the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.